Praise the Lord. As already said, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to have all of you here um, this day after Christmas. Everybody have a wonderful Christmas day yesterday? Amen, amen. And it, it is good, again, I know I kind of said it quickly, but Philip and Hannah Holmes, we're happy that they are here. We had a wonderful wedding a couple weeks ago. It's good. Give them another applause. It's good to see them. Now, you guys made an important decision when you came in here. Where are we going to sit now as a married couple? Because it seems to stick. So we'll see if you guys uh, keep sitting there for the next 50 years. We'll see. <laughs> um, I do want to give honor to the Shostrians. I'm so thankful for our pastors. I know I speak for all of us, and I say how thankful and how blessed we are to have pastors, Sister Shostrian, as our shepherds and as our leaders, and yeah, uh, absolutely appropriate. Very thankful for them, and um, it, is good. it is good to be here. I'm honored for the opportunity to speak before you, and I am also aware that it is the day after Christmas. I'm aware that my children are in the back playing with their toys, and so I know my time is short, so don't, don't worry. I, I am aware of all those things. I do want to share with you something that I've been questioning or thinking about um, around the nativity scene, around the Christmas story. And if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, uh, and we'll read the first two verses. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Say, wise men from the east. And the next verse, verse 2 says, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. I struggled with the title here, so I, I just kind of put it all together. My title, if I had to, would be the wise men dash the king, Jesus the king. Can we pray one more time and ask the Lord to help uh, deliver this word? Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your blessings. We thank you uh, for coming to this earth. We thank you for your plan of salvation, God. We ask you, Lord, that you will visit with us today, Lord. We ask that you will help me speak this word to your people, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The wise men are a very interesting story. And the reason why it's interesting to me is because we have all of this popular culture surrounding them, that's not really accurate. I'm sure many of you, as I do, probably have a nativity scene somewhere in your home. Uh, or if you, if you don't, I'm sure all of you have seen the nativity scenes out in people's yards. And, and you know, you always have baby Jesus in the manger. Then you have Mary and Joseph. And then they're surrounded with some, some animals. And they're surrounded with uh, the shepherds that were there. And then usually... There's these three very royal-looking, kingly uh, wise men slash kings that are uh, presenting their gifts. And we kind of throw all that together into the story. But really, when we read the biblical account, this only is recorded in this one chapter, Matthew chapter 2. And lots of different things that aren't really true from what we, under, what we talk about. One, they probably were not at the nativity scene. It says that they, they came to the house. It doesn't say they came to uh, the manger, but it says they came to the house. And also, uh, we know that Herod, we know the story, and we know that Herod uh, had uh, determined to um, kill the babies under two, right? So we knew Jesus wasn't just a newborn, but he was a baby. So he was somewhere between zero and two years old at this time. 
They actually weren't even kings. We, there's nothing in scripture that says that they were kings. I know we sing the, the Christmas carol, we three kings from Orient land. They weren't kings as far as we can tell. They were simply wise men. And so I, I got really curious about this whole story. Who were these wise men? Why, why were they searching for the king of the Jews? They came, like, we need to find the king of the Jews. Why would they be doing that when they were Gentiles? They weren't Jewish. They weren't from that land. Uh, so that, those were some of my questions. And so I began to research and look up some things. And I found some very interesting things. And um, we'll, start with, um, we'll start with the Old Testament. So it says they were wise men from the east. So thinking in terms of uh, Israel, where's the east? So the east would be Babylon, Persia, Media, all, all those countries. That would be the east. And so they came from the east. We know they were wise men. And if you remember in your Old Testament, we know that Babylon conquered Jerusalem about 500 years before all of this took place. And so we read in the book of Daniel where Babylon came into, came into uh, Jerusalem. They took the Israelites and they brought them back to Babylon. They brought them back to the east. You see, Babylon did an interesting thing in that they didn't try to just take their, uh, their new subjects and put them in slavery. That's typically what would happen, right? And that's what happened with the Israelites in Egypt. They put them in slavery. But Babylon did something different. Babylon said, let's take their culture and let's just try to merge the two cultures. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, um, let me, let, give me the best and the brightest. Give me the royalty. Give me the noble families. Give me all these people. I want to bring them into my palace. I want to bring them into my court. And we know the story in the book of Daniel. We, I don't have time to get into all of it. Uh, Daniel is a fascinating character study, a fascinating book. Uh, if you have the time, I encourage you to go read the whole book of Daniel. It's fascinating. Because he takes Daniel and, and others, and he brings them to their palace. And Daniel, from the very beginning, just determined, I know I'm in a strange land. I know I've been conquered. I know that now there's this King Nebuchadnezzar. But he determined from the very beginning, he said, Jehovah is my king. This King Nebuchadnezzar might have conquered me, but he is not my king. He doesn't have control over my life. My king is Jehovah. And that's what Daniel said in Daniel 1, verse 8. I love this scripture. I could preach all day about this one scripture. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 says, He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's meat. He said, I am, de I am determined that no matter what comes my way, no matter what influences, no matter what sort of pressure is exerted on me, I will not defile myself because Jehovah is my king. Amen? And that was Daniel's uh, mindset. Now, what does all this have to do with the wise men? I'm getting there, I promise. I promise, I'll connect it. So Daniel, and we, of course, know the story that uh, in, in that particular story in Daniel 1 was they were trying to get him to eat the king's food. And, of course, that would have been breaking his, his promise to Jehovah. And so he wouldn't do that. And we know God blessed him. And in the next chapter of Daniel, we read that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he, gets, he, he wakes up from this dream, and he doesn't like how the dream made him feel. He goes to the wise men of their time the wise men in the east, he goes to them and says, hey, 
I need you to interpret this dream of mine. And those wise men are like, no problem. Give us the dream and we'll interpret it. But Nebuchadnezzar does something very interesting. We can put up that verse, uh, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 5. He says, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me. He doesn't remember his dream. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces and your house shall be made a dunghill. What a day for the Sunday school to be up here. <laughs> he says, if you cannot make, if you cannot tell me what I dreamed and then also give me the interpretation, it ain't going to be good for you. King Nebuchadnezzar, you're asking a lot here. And if, if you read this, if you continue with the story, the, of course, the Chaldeans are like, oh, can't do that. That, that. You're asking too much. And he was going to kill them. He was going to wipe them off. And then Daniel, being now a part of those wise men, he would have been one of them that was wiped out. And so Daniel said, whoa, let's, let's slow down a little bit here. Let's, let's think this through. And he's able to buy some time. And of course, we know the story. Again, I'm going really quick with it, but we know that God does deliver Daniel the dream. He tells him what he dreamed, and he tells him what the dream meant. And so Daniel goes to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, hey, I, I got the dream, and he explained the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar says, that sounds familiar. Yep, that was it. And he gives him the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar is so thankful to Daniel, and he's so thankful to the God of Daniel that he puts Daniel in charge of all the wise men in the east. We read it in, later in chapter 2, verse 20, or 48. It says, Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him great gifts and, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. So wait a minute. Daniel, versed in the Torah, versed in the Old Testament, obviously was trained. He was in the king's uh, palace in, in Jerusalem. He, he obviously was trained in, in all things of the Torah. He uh, is now brought into Babylon and he is placed in charge of all the wise men in the east. I think it's possible that Daniel taught the wise men for years and those wise men taught the next generation of wise men and those wise men taught the next generation of wise men about Jehovah and about the prophecies of the king of the Jews. In fact, we read, if we continue in Daniel, we won't go to all these scriptures, but Daniel 6 tells us, so he was in charge of them for a long time. Many, many, many years he was in charge of them because it says in Daniel 6 that the people that were under him got jealous of him. Of course, Daniel being a godly man was praying every day and we know the story that he was able to trick that king, the, not him, but the other the other um, wise men were able to trick that king into making a law to not pray. And of course, that's what gets Daniel uh, into the lion's den. And Daniel survives that miraculous, miraculously. God provides and again, shows proof that Daniel's God is the God. Later on in chapter 9, we read that Daniel had a prophecy that describes a timeline of when Jehovah was going to be cut off, and from just simple math, they're able to time out when Jehovah, the king of the Jews, would have been brought or came to this earth. And so what a remarkable thing that Daniel brought over in captivity. He's going through a tough time. I'm sure he looked around and said, this is not what I had in mind. 
When I was learning about the Torah, when I was learning about the blessings of God and, and being part of the chosen people, I didn't think getting conquered was a part of being a part of the chosen people. And so here he is, he's in a strange land, he's, he's conquered, but he still said, you know what, no matter what my circumstance is, no matter what situations come my way, Jehovah is still my king. God is still my God. And he did to the best of his abilities that I'm going to still serve him. I'm still going to follow his precepts. And you know what? God then promoted him. God then, you don't read where Daniel went and promoted himself. You don't read where Daniel went and tried to be political. No, Daniel said, I'm just going to focus on what I can focus on. I'm going to serve the Lord with everything I got. And God did all the promoting. God opened up all the doors. Listen, wherever you are in life, no matter what situation that comes your way, God is still the king of your life. He can still use you. He can still put you in places that he needs you. And you can have an influence on generation after generation after generation. If you will simply say, Jehovah is still my king, he can still use you despite your circumstances. That's, and that's what Daniel was an example of. That's why Daniel is such an, an amazing story. And so Daniel teaches the wise men all of these prophecies. He, he is in charge of the schools. And, and maybe these wise men that we talk about in Matthew 2, maybe those wise men aren't necessarily from Babylon. It says from the east. Could be Babylon, could be other places. But surely, over time, the teachings of Daniel, over the, his entire lifetime, has spread abroad to all the wisdom and all the wise men in the east. And I believe that is why 490 years later, after Daniel, people were counting down the days. They're watching the calendar. They're waiting. When is the king of the Jews coming? When is the king coming? And so that's what they did. They came. And so that answered that question. Okay, so how do they even know? That answered that, I think. The next question is, though, why come? I still didn't understand. I'm like, okay, I get it. They're, they're wise men. They, they knew when to expect it. But again, they were Gentiles. They were not of, of Jewish lineage. So why were they so invested that they decided they had to get up and travel all the way across other countries into a strange land? What made them want to do that? And so I think we get the answer from that in, in the story. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we'll start verse 2 again. It says, saying, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So they came to the king of Jerusalem. They came to that king, to Herod. They said, we're looking for the king of the Jews. We see the star. The star's over uh, Jerusalem, over Israel. So let's go there. And what better place to start than with the king? And so they go to the king. And verse 3 says, um, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod understood the situation here. He understood that, hey, if a king is being born, that's trouble for my kingdom. I'm the king, excuse me. And verse 4, he says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together to determine, I'm sorry, to demand it of them where Christ should be born. So Herod doesn't know. He's like, I don't, I don't know who this king is. Who's this king you're speaking of? And so the, he gets all the, the religious people and says, let's, let's find out from them. Okay, next verse. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Next verse. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou 
art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And so they, they go back to scripture. They go back to some prophecy. And so this is a pretty remarkable thing here. No matter what wisdom you have, it's good to have wisdom. It's good to get education. We still need the word of God to direct our paths. They knew from the teachings of Daniel when to look. And they knew from the teachings of Daniel we can go and look at prophecy about a star. And they, So they knew to look for the star. The star only got them to Jerusalem. And then they needed to consult the word. They needed to consult prophecy. They needed to look back. And, so, and that's what they did. So they looked back at the word. Always make sure we got to have the word guiding us. Verse 7 says, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. In verse 8, says, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Worship him also. We all know that that's not what his intentions were. His intentions were clear later on in the story that he was not there to worship. But the reason why, why did they come? Why did they do this? It's, it's really simple. It's what the cultures did at that time. When a new king was born, the other dignitaries from other countries, they would come to those places and they would present gifts, much like the gifts that was presented to Jesus. Gold, frankincense, not necessarily myrrh, but usually gold and frankincense. And they would come and they would present them to the king. And this illustrates to us something about Jesus that, that of course we know, but it's not talked about all that often. When we think of Jesus, and we think of the New Testament Jesus, we primarily think of the Savior of the world. We primarily think of the one who came, and he, and he bore all of our sins, and he died for us on the cross. And that's absolutely true. That is why he came. But there's another purpose, and there's another role that Jesus came to this earth. And that was to be King of kings and Lord of lords. He was to be, and is to be, a ruling king. And that's what they were recognizing. They weren't recognizing the religious part of it. They were coming to pay reverence to the new ruling king, the king of the Jews. And they understood, I'm sure Daniel taught them, that although it's for the Jewish nation right now, at one point it's going to expand the whole world. This is the king. And so that's what they did. And that was the expectation in the New Testament. In fact, Luke Chapter 1 and verse 32, when the angel was revealing who Jesus was, go ahead and put that up. Luke 1, 32 says, He shall be great, he shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. They knew he was going to be a king. In fact, Revelation, there's many, many verses. I just picked a couple. Revelation verses, chapter 11, verse 15 tells us, And the seventh angel sounded. And there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. See, this is what tripped up the Jewish people in the times of Jesus. Is they were expecting that political leader. They were expecting that king that would sit on the throne of David. And Jesus said, I am that king, only that time is not now. 
He came and he said, I'm going to first open up the door for the whole world. I'm going to save all of humanity. But rest assured, there's coming a day where Jesus will sit on the throne and all the nations of the world will be bound to that king. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And that's what the wise men were symbolically bringing to him. They were showing him, this is the king. This is the king of the world. And they came and they brought those gifts. Today, we have a choice. Today, in this time period that we're currently living, living in, we have the choice whether or not Jesus is our king. We have the choice to determine whether or not I'm going to let him have kingship. What's that mean? He's going to have dominion over my life. Will I let the word of God dictate what I do? Will I let the word of God speak into me? Will I let King Jesus be the king in my heart. Today we have that choice, but we all know one day he's coming. One day he's going to come back in the whole world. It doesn't matter your choice at that point. One day he's going to sit at that throne and he's going to be king over the whole world. So the question we have before us is will we make him our king first? Will we make him our king? Will we be like the wise men? Will we travel far? Will we do whatever it needs to be done to say, God, I want to pay worship to you? In fact, that's, that's what they were doing. And we continue reading in, in Matthew chapter 2. And, and I'm coming to a close if the musicians will come. Matthew chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 9, says, And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. That star came back till it came and stood over where the child was. So they got to Jerusalem. They went to the king. The king got all the uh, religious folk together and they decided where it would be. They said it should be Bethlehem. And at that point, what do you know? Another star appeared. Next verse. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding Great joy. We found him. We found it. We found Jesus. We found the king of the Jews. Verse 11 says, And when they came into the house, and they saw the young child of Mary, his mother, they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. Why? They were Gentiles. They, weren't, they, they understood who Jesus was before most of the Jewish people, before really any Jewish people understood who Jesus was. And the only ones who did know, Mary and, and Joseph and, and their family, were because an angel had to reveal it to them. But they were searching and they were waiting because one day there's going to come a king of the Jews. And one day that king is going to make a way for us and make a way for my people. And the whole world is going to be saved under that one king. And that's when they, they opened up their treasures and they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's stand. We could talk about the gifts of gold, frankincense, myrrh. They, they perfectly describe Jesus. And the gold represents his, his king authority. The, the frankincense, frankincense was an incense that was put up in prayer. And, put up, and so that's why that represented his divinity, that he was God wrapped in flesh. And then we get to the myrrh. Myrrh was actually uh, an anointing oil that was placed on, on body so that it would help the smell. What does that represent? That represents that Jesus was king, he was God, 
and he was man. He was all three. He was all of that in one. And because of that, he was able to reconcile the whole world to him. The wise men understood that we need to worship this King of Kings and this Lord of Lords. I'd like to invite us to do that. This altar is open. Let's come and let's worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.